This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Today I present a sermon that I brought at a church in Austin, Texas recently. The theme is, Why Did Jesus Come to Earth? I really wanted, as I prepared for this talk, to look specifically at what the Bible says, and even more specifically what Jesus says of himself, the reasons that he came. So I hope you get something out of this, and I encourage you to look at the other scriptures. There are many more beyond what I mention in this brief talk, where Jesus reveals his purposes in coming. And, of course, God always achieves his purposes. He always completes the work that he sets for himself. And we are so thankful that he has been so clear with us, that he tells us what he's going to do, and then he does it. For him, his yes is yes, and his no is no. And may that be true of all of us as well. I pray that you'll be blessed as you listen. And if there are messages here that don't resonate with you, perhaps they're for people that God will bring to you. So let's always keep our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears open to see how we can serve others and bless others with the blessings that he's given to us. Amen. So, to get to what I've prepared, it's interesting, the timing is perfect because this is something I've been pondering for several months now. And I was just thinking, why did Jesus come to earth? Why was it necessary? What was the goal? I had heard other people talk about what they thought about what the scripture says about why he came, but I just wanted to look at it. What does the Bible say? I'm going to share a few scriptures and talk about them. There are many other scriptures that talk about this theme, and the way that I think about this is uh, it's like a diamond, and you know when you get a diamond out of the ground, it's, it's not very bright, but they will cut facets, different faces on this diamond, and as they cut these different facets, then you can see in, and it really, you really see the richness of the stone. And so these scriptures are like facets different faces of understanding, a different way of looking into this beautiful thing that God has done. Why did Jesus come? So we're going to look at a few of those facets, but there's a lot more. So we're looking at the same thing from different directions. As a context for this, the context is something that Paul said to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said to Timothy, "'Watch your life and your doctrine closely.'" Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there are these two things that Paul says to Timothy we need to really pay attention to and persevere in. The first is life, and the second is doctrine. Those two things, persevere in life and doctrine. And I was trying to think of an analogy. What is a good analogy for persevering in life and doctrine and how to understand that? And I thought about a car as a really good analogy. What is the life part of driving a car? Well, it's actually driving the car. Getting in a car, starting it up, and moving, that's the life part of a car, to persevere in that. But you want to persevere in doing it well. How do you drive a car well? 
Because if you drive a car well, you'll save both yourself and those around you. (laughs) Paul says you'll save yourself and those who hear you when you're persevering in godly doctrine. When you're driving a car, you need to know the doctrine. And what is the doctrine side of driving a car? Well, I could think of two things. There's the rules of the road and the owner's manual. Those two things you need to understand. They are completely outside of ourselves. Uh, If somebody came from England and they hopped in a car, they'd realize, oh, the steering wheel is on the other side. Which side of the road should I drive on? That's a rule. That's a rule of the road. It's not oppressive. It's just a rule that says you follow these rules and everything will be good. You'll be in the right place. You'll be doing the right thing. This is a rule of the road. But there's also the owner's manual. How does the car work? How did the engineers design it? Do you need to put oil in? How often do you need to put oil in? How is it built? So those two things, the rules of the road and then the owner's manual are real important. Once we really understand those things, then we can persevere in our life. The driving of the car, everything's going to work fine. It'll be good. And everybody agrees on those things, and then we have peace because everybody agrees on that. So the Scripture is our rules of the road and also the owner's manual. That's how I think about the Bible in this context. We see the rules of the road, the things that God says, if you go this way, it'll be good for you. Everything's going to work out well, you'll have peace. But there's also the owner's manual. I have built human beings this way. You are made to be this way. Human beings are made to be people that are in relationship. Human beings are people that are made to be honest with one another, to tell the truth, to have integrity. He wants those things for us, and this is what we see in the Bible. That's why we need to really study the Bible. It's not God telling us that we're all wrong. He's saying, here is the way it is. Here it is. This is the way of life. Walk in it. So that's the context for looking at why did Jesus come. We need to study what the Word says. We need to be very careful not to merely have feelings about what we think the Bible ought to say. People have a strong conviction of what the Bible ought to say or what Jesus should have said, and they'll argue it, but they're not really rooted in the reality of what He did say. So that's why we need to look at the Scripture. And we should not make up our own rules. That begins to be lawlessness, the Wild West. Boy, there's so much trouble, so much trouble in the world, and it's just based on that pride of life, the thinking, I know what's better, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So let's look at what the Scripture says about why Jesus came to the earth. The first one I'll look at is in John chapter 18, verse 37. This is just before Jesus is crucified, really. He's speaking with Pilate. He says to Pilate, You are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So here are the words of Jesus, and he's telling us, why did he come? I came into this world to testify to the truth. On one of the buildings here at UT, it says the truth will set you free. That is a a really misguided application of Scripture. I mean, it's true, but you need to look at what Jesus said about all of it. 
Some people will sort of say a little bit more, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what Jesus said, because that's a quote of Jesus in stone on campus, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say the truth is going to set you free. He said, if you really hold on to my teaching, if you really do what I'm saying, then you're going to start to understand that truth, the real truth, and that truth is going to release you. You'll be set free. That's what he said. He came to testify to the truth. And he said, everyone that's on the side of truth listens to me. I want to point out this word, everyone. There are some people who claim to be on the side of truth, but they don't listen to Jesus. So there's an application for us. Let's listen to Jesus. That's our application. Let's hold on to his teachings. Let's do what he says. Everyone on the side of truth listens to him. And he came to testify to the truth. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So that's that Old Testament Hebrew writings that we, we call the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures. He said, don't think that I came to tear them up and throw them out. I came to fulfill them. Well, this takes some knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, and that's a really good reason to study the Old Testament, to understand what Jesus was talking about, because he said he came to do this. We need to understand that part of the history of God's story. He said that he came to fulfill the prophets and the law. So, let me just very quickly talk about what the prophets said. The prophets foretold his coming. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, others foretold the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one. The prophets foretold that there was a Messiah coming who was going to set people free. And they foretold that he was coming to bind up the brokenhearted. They also foretold that there was going to be a great prophet, a prophet unlike any other prophet in all of history, and that prophet was going to come, and he was going to speak the very words of God. And when Jesus arrives on earth, some people say to him, are you the prophet? They've been waiting, waiting for this great prophet to come. We read in Isaiah chapter 9, it's nice that we just started this service because I have it here, this conquering king is going to come. Isaiah foretells the coming of a king whose name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The prophets foretold that. Also in Isaiah chapter 53, there's this image of the coming Messiah as a suffering servant, one who takes on himself the sins of the world and makes a way for those burdens to be relieved from the people. That's what the prophets foretold. The prophets foretold that God was going to send a Messiah, God with us, who is both a Lord and a Savior. He's a king who's going to sit on the throne of David forever, and he's a savior. He's one who makes a way for people to come out from under the burdens that they're under. The Mosaic law showed that sin has a price. 
That's one of the great lessons of the Mosaic Law. Before it was given, people didn't really understand what sin was or ungodliness. Or... And so God provided this law to show us, to teach us how straight He is and how crooked we are in comparison. The Mosaic Law is given to show that sin has a price. God does not forgive sin unless it's been paid for. That's what the Mosaic Law shows us. And under the Mosaic Law, every year there were sacrifices to cover sin, to make a way for people to express their repentance and their worship to God. But Jesus comes, that perfect sacrifice, and He fulfills that part of the law perfectly. He just he fulfills it completely. And by fulfilling that law, He made it possible for us to come to the Father, to share in His holiness, as the New Testament says. And this has always been God's plan to make peace between Him and a fallen, broken world. I was thinking of imagery about when Jesus fulfills the price of sin. He fulfills that. When you get a a water bill from the city, you got this bill, you owe something. You write a check or you pay it. That bill has been paid. It's been fulfilled. It's not like it never existed. It did exist, but it's been fulfilled. You don't receive it and go, I'm no longer under the law. I'm going to tear up this water bill. You still owe the money, even if you think it doesn't have any power. It does. And the old covenant law is like that. There's a price. We couldn't pay that price except temporarily, year to year, with enough sacrifice to sort of cover our sins. But Jesus comes and He says, no, I'm going to do this perfectly. And He pays that price. And it's like that water bill has been fulfilled and you just put it away. It's now obsolete, but it doesn't mean it never had any force. It just means it's been filled. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. Now, we need to be very careful to fight against, okay, here's a couple of religious-sounding words, a heresy of Marcionism. So heresy is just false teaching. It's just something that's wrong. People can teach things about God that are, op- that are not what He teaches about Himself. And Marcionism is a, it's a belief that said that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. And I've heard this creeping into teachings all around the world, that somehow the God of the Old Testament is this mean, sort of like a Greek God sitting up on a throne and casting thunderbolts down and and hurting people, whereas the God of the New Testament is this loving, kind, big uh, Santa Claus papa figure. But the Scriptures don't let us do that because Jesus said, I came to fulfill that. And we understand that Jesus Himself is Emmanuel. So when we say that Jesus is God, we're saying that Jesus is Jehovah. And if you've memorized John 3, 16, go back and read John 3, 14 and 15, 16, 17 and 18, and you'll see that Jesus makes this exact equivalence between the God of the Old Testament and what He's doing. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I like this one. Jesus says of Himself, "'For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve.'" and to give His life as a ransom for many." This is why He said He came, one of these facets of why Jesus came. He did not come to take a place of privilege or power. He could have been born a baby into the royal household in Rome. He could have become the Roman emperor. Instead, He was born in the most humble of surroundings. Who would have thought? 
He did not come to be served, he came to serve. That's beautiful. The one who has every right to be served and adored and worshiped. And he came to pay a price for many people. He says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. If somebody's kidnapped, they're caught in captivity, they can't escape, you pay a price and they're released. That's what a ransom is. And he came to pay that ransom. So there's an application for us. Let's serve. Let's be like Jesus. We've got to be willing to bear other people's burdens. That's why we're here. So how he wants to continue his work through us. Continuing that thought in John chapter 12, I think I'll read the whole section here. John 12, 23 through 27. So this is just after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Jesus knows the death that awaits him. And it's a terrible death. Not only is he going to suffer horribly physically, he's going to bear on himself all of the condemnation of the sin of all of creation. I was in Auschwitz uh, several years ago with some of our interns. And Auschwitz, as probably most of you know, is a place where hundreds of thousands of people were murdered. And one of our interns said, we were there just really somber. And she said, Jesus paid for this. And I never thought that he paid for the sins of the Nazis. In verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And here's the thing, now my heart is troubled. What can I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason that I came to this hour. See what Jesus is saying? It's for this very reason that I came, and I am not going to back out. He was steadfast and purposeful and brave. His heart was troubled, deeply troubled, but that was no reason to back out. No reason to pull away in self-protection. He said, no, I'm here for this reason. My heart is troubled, but this is why I'm called here. Those of us who have been in different kinds of ministry, you get into situations helping people through difficult things, and our hearts get really troubled. It's a great burden. And yet that's why we're there. We should never say, oh, Father, save me from this hour. No, that's why we're there. God wants His people in the middle of the hard things. That's why He allowed some of His followers to be taken by the Nazis and put in concentration camps, because they're like grains of salt thrown into the worst places. So when you are going through a difficult time and your heart is troubled, realize that's no reason to fall back. That's just no reason to back off. That may be the very reason you're there. As hard as things are, God works everything for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Uh, Living in Russia, we've faced some pretty hard things there. And I just keep thinking, I've got to love God and I've got to listen for His call on my life and do it. 
then everything's going to work out for good. But victory to Jesus looks very different from the way the world defines victory. And we've got to press through. Just like Jesus was, that's the reason he came to this difficult time. That's why he was there. Uh, Mark 1, verse 38. This is really a lot of fun. I like this one a lot. The more I've thought about it, I just really appreciate it. Jesus said to the disciples, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there. That's why I've come. He came to preach. I can imagine Jesus, you know, he's like, okay, I've talked to everybody here. I've touched people, but we got to go. I came to preach the gospel. Let's go to another village. Let's go. I'm here to preach. He didn't come to sit in an office and write a book about seven principles for kingdom living. He came to preach. He came to meet people and talk to them. I'll use an, an illustration that may, yeah, it may challenge some of your thinking, but it did me, and now I kind of like it. Imagine you have an aquarium, and you love your fish, and you feed your fish, and they give you joy to watch. But then imagine the fish start fighting with each other. They start nibbling at each other and biting each other, and there's trouble in the aquarium. (laughs) And you keep yelling to them, hey, stop it. If you would just do this and you would do that, then everything would be fine. You don't have to hate each other. But they're in water, and you're not. They're a fish, and you're not, and they don't get it. And then imagine that the way to communicate well with them is that you can become a fish. Ah, I can become a fish and go into the aquarium and then live in their world and speak their language with a full understanding of everything that I've left behind. But I'm a fish now and I can communicate and bring peace among the fish. I think you see where I'm going. Why did Jesus come? Imagine now that once you became a fish, you could never stop being a fish. Once you commit to being a fish, you have to stay a fish. Would you do it? Jesus did. And I'll tell you why I think this. When he became a man and he ascended, he, well, remember he was resurrected into a body, a physical body. He said, here, touch my hand, touch my side. He ate with them, he cooked things. When he ascended, the angel said, he's going to come back the way he left. And I think he's in a body. That's why Jesus came, so that he could fully understand and experience what it is to be human and yet never sin. He is the only one who has never been defeated by sin. How many perfect people are here in this room? I dare not raise my hand. He's the only one. He's the only one who knows the full force of sin because he fought it all the way to the end and he won. We always lose that battle at some point, but he knows what it is to be a human, what it is to be tempted by the devil. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be sleepy. He knows all of those things. He understands us really, really well. He came to preach to people. And in order to do that, he had to become one of us. And we'll see a scripture in a second that talks about that. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, it's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. Another facet of His coming is that He came to seek and to save. Just two things here. Seek. He came to seek. That means He's active. Our God is not a God who sits high aloft and far away and says, if you act better, you can come a little closer. Be better and then I'll like you. 
He comes to seek. He is active. Many religions or religious people who are in the Christian, some Christian tradition would think we have to make ourselves better so that we can approach God. Whereas Christianity is, we come to God so that we'll be made better. I've heard it said, you don't take a bath in order to take a shower. We're filthy, we're dirty. He comes to us, He seeks us out, and we can come to Him. And as we come to Him, then He cleans us up and He makes us better. That's what He does, that's His promise. So He came to seek and He came to save. He uses the image of a a shepherd who has got 99 sheep that are doing well and one of them wanders off and he says, I'm going to go get that one and going to save it because it's in danger. He has the authority and he has the power to save. He has the authority and he has the power and he is trustworthy and true. He's a good shepherd. So in Hebrews chapter 2 Uh, We come back to this idea of Jesus becoming a human. In Hebrews 2.14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In 1 John chapter 3, John writes, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And this devil's work is the power of death. And he came to destroy that work and destroy the one who has power over death. Not only to do that, but to bring freedom for people who all their lives were held in slavery, bound and limited because they're afraid of death. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have no reason to fear death. If Jesus tarries, as they say, if he doesn't come... Everybody in this room, at some point, your spirit is going to slip out of your body. But we're not going to taste death because Jesus has done that for us. Remember on the cross, He said, Father, where are you? I think that's when He went to hell. Never in all of eternity He had been separated from God. And He said, where are you? And I think that's when He went through hell. And we don't have to go through that because He did. Amen. I'll just wrap up by saying I really want your faith to be encouraged. And I'll say like John said in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did a lot of other things. He did a lot of things. But these things were written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and by believing have life in His name. So it's believing but then also life. Life and doctrine those two things to persevere in them, and then we'll help ourselves and the people around us. We serve a living God, and He is active all over the earth, and He's tireless. He's active in the hearts of His people. God weeps with those who weep, and He mourns with those who mourn. He is close, so close to the brokenhearted. But I want to tell you, He knows the end from the beginning. He's never surprised. Things will jump up and surprise us, but He is not surprised. And He fulfills His promises. He has given us great and precious promises so that by them we can share in His nature. 
Uh, let's, let me pray just in closing then. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. Ugh. And you say that your word is living and it's active. So, Father, I pray that that will be true here. The things that have been said that are true and of you will really be seeds that settle into good soil, our hearts, and then bear fruit, really bear good fruit. And not only for us, God, please, not only for us, but for those around us. God, help us as we receive your blessings to let those blessings flow through us to others because your heart is for the lost, the people that are still bound by a fear of death. God, help us to live that life so we can be an example and an encouragement to others. And Father, anyone here who's struggling with any of these things, you know how we're like sheep, how we can get lost or follow the wrong voice or, yeah, get confused. Lord, you're so loving. And I pray that you will call people here by name to lead them, to walk in the right way, and to be fearless because they have a great protector in you. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.